Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits of Mitrap Podcast. How are you doing this week, Mike? It's episode 50. Can episode you it? 50. No, I Holy honestly, I can't moly. believe we're 50 episodes in. <laughs> what? And almost a year since our first episode. When did that come out? April, right? Uh, yeah, either late March or April, yeah. So uh, Let's look at that real quick. 50. Man. Let's see. What was the date of episode one? Intro, origin stories, and an aggressive operator. April 29th. Oh, wow. So we're a month away from being a year. So a little under 11 months. March, though, we were definitely planning. There was some There were some things in the works. Things were brewing March of last year, for sure. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Well, it's been a crazy year. It's been an awesome year. I'm glad that like, we've been able to, re- you know... I see you. I've seen you more than I think I've seen you in college. You know? I, it's it's awesome. I think this is the most we've seen each other this past week, besides when we lived together. Yeah, no, for definitely. sure, definitely. And sometimes when we lived together, you'd be working, I'd be working, we'd be doing different things. We might have even seen each other less. Yeah, no, definitely. So it's been a great year. It's got me through the pandemic, through quarantine, through defending. So thank you, Mike. And, and a new child. Yes. So we're halfway to 100. We've got 50 yes. more. Well, let's see. I mean, we have how many books left if we finished? How many we finished? We just did. Um, we just did the ninth rap book. The I ninth think. rap book. Plus so we did, we're ex- exactly we're, halfway then. Exactly halfway. With rap yep. 20 coming out this year. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to do some bonus stuff for Enemy at the Gates, you know. Yeah, just like we did last year, Road to Enemy yeah. of the Gates. Yeah. Cover the um, the book release tour when Kyle goes on tour, starts doing interviews, you know, three times a day, <laughs> <laughs> running himself into the ground. Yes, a lot of fun things planned for you. We got a lot of we got a, got a lot of cool interviews planned for you, including the guy yes. we we have on today's episode. Like, this has just been a, a fun run of interviews we've been doing in. And on top of our book pod, so you guys are in, your guys are in store for some for some good content. I think we already have three recorded that'll come out in the you know ensuing weeks. We get ahead, work. We were working, man. Yeah, that's it. We're keeping busy. You know why we're keeping busy? Because we have some fantastic patrons, amazing people supporting yes, the work we do here yes, we do. on Mitch Rap Pod. So thanks to you, our patrons, we can keep the podcast ad free. You're the reason we got to episode 50 and beyond. <laughs> and you're also the reason we are able to give back to Operation Paperback by sending monthly care packages of Vince Flynn books and other thrillers to our troops. We're already up to 100, maybe 30 books that we have sent out uh, to our troops currently deployed around the world. That's yeah. awesome. And speaking of our patrons, this episode is coming out the last week of March. So we need to do our March book giveaway. Let's do it. You ready? You got the wheel up? I've got the wheel of names. Insert spinny wheel sound right now. You, you should add that in. That little thing, you know, when the wheel of fortune is yeah, like a little clicker. Yep. Yeah. And the winner is? Steph K. Steph K. Long time listener and patron. Yes, indeed. Oh, there's also a shout out for Steph. 
she posted, and man, she got us on this. Why were we a little low on Protect and Defend? You know what was missing from that book? Scott Coleman. Scott Coleman. And the boys. I know. She brought it to our attention, and we were reflecting on Tuesday night when we were golfing, and I was like, well, maybe, maybe that's why we didn't like this book. I didn't it's even like, think that. Where the hell Scott Coleman? She's so right. That's what's missing. You know, all the badass of Coleman and Wick and uh, Hackett and Strobel. It wasn't there. Yeah. They were just gone. So yeah, it makes a, makes a great book. You got to have the team together. Yeah. I feel like Kyle's done that quite a bit. Lethal Agent, I could remember a couple scenes. Total Power. But yeah. Steph, I mean, she is definitely deserving of this title. Hashtag Scott's biggest fan. She is all out Scott Coleman. So shout out to you. Thanks for being a patron. Thanks for supporting the podcast, keeping us on our toes. And for that, we have an autographed Vince Flynn book of your choosing to send out. So we'll be in touch. You should put that uh, a copy of Scott's uh, Linguini in that in that signed book. Scott's Linguini. What? You don't remember this? They 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 gave oh, out. Was that uh, the cookbook? The rap uh, cookbook? Uh, no, it's like a, they gave out because remember he made that linguine pasta in Total Power that, for oh, uh, Total Power. Yep, yep, yep. At the house the, scene. Yeah, at the house for the lady Sonia with what's her um, name Sonia. Yep, yep. You're right. Uh, and they they posted the recipe on I think on Kyle's <laughs> website or something like that. So I love those Easter eggs. That's good yeah. stuff. That's so. when you know you have a good you know publisher and uh, publicist in the house. Yes. Sure. Yes. antics like that well chris what are we covering on today's pod episode 50 yes we so happy to have this guy on the podcast uh bringing to you for episode 50 um he is a former we this month we did protect and defend we have irene getting taken her executive protection team you know getting taken out uh we have someone who is discreetly or intimately involved in that someone who was involved taking care of a um or protecting a cia um director director there we go that's the word i'm looking for uh now turned author his name is dave austin his book came out in december called drone strike it was very good i highly recommend it uh, as well as uh the first one which came out last year right or two uh, years yep. ago tehran's vengeance i Tehran's think 2019 2019 joe matthews baby so, yeah, hope you guys enjoy this interview with uh, Dave Austin. Today we welcome Dave Austin, author of the Joe Matthews series and the recently released Drone Strike, his newest book, and also a former employee of the CIA. So, Dave, thanks for joining us tonight. Oh, thanks, guys, for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, so if you could just start us out by um, just telling us more about yourself, you know, how what you've done in the past, your time in the CIA, and how you became an author. Sure. Um, I always start out, been married for 31 years um, uh, to the same woman. Um, nice. You know, I think uh, with working at the agency, uh, prior to that, I was in the Army. Um, you know, it... it takes a, a special person, you know, to, to be the spouse of somebody in that kind of line of work. Um, because, you know, you're gone so much, working a lot of hours, short notice travel, um, you know, and they're back here dealing with everything on the home front. So really be, uh, been fortunate there. Um, 
grew up a kind of an agency brat. I know a lot of people, uh, you know, familiar with the term military brat, but uh, my dad was uh, a 27-year veteran of, of the CIA. Um, majority of his career was overseas. Um, so we moved around every three or four years overseas uh, until I went to college. And then uh, ended up um, after that going in the army. Uh, was an infantryman, served for four years. And then after that, uh, joined the agency, kind of went in the, the family business there. Um, started out as a, as a police officer. Um, but after a couple years, um, rolled over into the protective operations side of the house. So um, working on the group that does protection for chiefs of station overseas and in high-risk areas. And then uh, later on the, the director's protective detail and spent the majority of my time there um, on the director's detail. And then um, 2005, left uh, the agency. Uh, moved into the private sector to continue um, doing executive protection, but doing it uh, on, uh, on the corporate front. And um, I've been doing that, uh, supporting um, you know the CEO and the, uh, the corporate leadership of uh, one of the world's largest companies as they travel around uh, domestically and internationally. Wow, cool. Is it, is it harder to protect a CEO or the director of the CIA? Um, it's different. Uh, you know, a lot of the principles are the same as far as, you know, the principles of, of protecting somebody. Um, resources are definitely better in the government. Uh, had more resources, gotcha. had more authority. Um, so doing it in the corporate world is a lot more finesse, I would say, probably. Um, dealing with some of the same type of issues, but, uh, you know, they're they're different, but they're similar enough that, you know, a lot of the, the skill set translates. Gotcha. Well, someone who works also on protection is your main character, your protagonist, yeah. Uh, yeah. Joe Matthews. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about how he as a character came uh, to be and how you as a writer uh, came about. Let's start with the, the writing piece, um, because that's probably take a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'd always been an avid reader. Uh, started out when I was a kid with uh, the Executioner series by Don Pendleton, uh, Mac Boland, if you guys are familiar with him. Um, you know, as I got older, moved into the Tom Clancy and then, um, you know, read all those books and then just purely by accident, um, bumped into to the Vince Flynn series. Um, I was, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was in uh, Dallas International Airport and I was heading out on a, a trip. I don't remember where I was going. And this was back in, in the early days of, uh, of Vince's riding. And um, I had a book or two with me in my bag, but nothing I was really thrilled, you know, about reading. And as I was walking to the gate, I passed one of the bookstores there and the third option mm. was was sitting there front and center and yes. you know it was the copy with the big agency seal yep. on the cover right, right. um and immediately caught my eye so i walked over had no idea who vince was i didn't know that this was not the first book or that it was even a series but you know i kind of read the book jacket and said oh this sounds pretty cool you know and and read it on the trip and loved it and um, then once i got home um found out that uh, you know, he had written other books that this was kind of the, the, was it the third in the series yeah, or a second and Mitch Rapp, so but third back, by Vince. Yeah. Right. Went back and found the other two. 
and uh, have been been hooked on them ever since. Um, in fact, I've got 18 of the 20 on the bookshelf behind me. I think the two I don't have, I have on, on Kindle. Um, nice. So, you know, had already always been, you know, a big reader, um, especially in this genre, because it, you know, it was close to home with, with what I did uh, at the agency. Um, and so, you know, there was one day, and it was probably 10 years ago, and I was like, I wonder if I could do this, because I had never been creative with anything in my life. No, no creative writing, you know, can't draw to save my life, can't play an instrument, anything. Um, so I sat down and I thought about it and I go, well, what would I write? And, you know, the first thing that came to mind was an attack scene, you know, because that was just what I knew and uh, felt most comfortable with. And I sat down for that first day and wrote for probably three or four hours, I guess. I maybe got through that one scene and my brain hurt so bad. It was <laughs> terrible. <laughs> it was like one of the hardest things I'd ever done. Um, but it was cool. I enjoyed it, you know, and it was fun. But ended up just kind of setting it aside. Um, you know, work got in the way, life got in the way. It was one of those things, you know, I didn't give it much more thought. And then occasionally over the next couple of years, I'd pull it out and I'd work some more. And then eventually I started kind of working on a plot for, uh, for the book. Uh, for the first one, Tehran's Vengeance, and, um, you know, worked on it bits and pieces and had a bunch of drafts and, you know, folder on my computer had all these different versions and, and you know, little notes and, you know, ideas and, and stuff like that. And then finally, I guess it was about five years ago, maybe, I just decided, I'm like, you know, I want to give it a shot. I want to finish it. You know, if nothing else, I can say, you know, I've written a book, um, you know, maybe get a few right. copies printed up for the you know, family and uh, have it sitting on my bookshelf or something like that, you know. And uh, so I really put my mind to it, set aside, you know, time every day to write and um, just kept at it. Um, you know, got that, that first one knocked out and found that I really enjoyed, um, you know, the process of coming up with the plot lines and, um, you know, seeing where you know, the characters grow and develop and a lot of the stuff I had kind of planned out um, and some things with the plot line too, but it was really cool that, you know, sometimes as I got writing, um, things would kind of take a left turn, you know, I'd be, I'd be going along and I'm like, oh, you know what I thought happened that, you know, is not as good, but I have a new idea or I think, you know, what would the characters be saying or, or things of that nature. So, um, you know, that's just, something I, I really enjoy and uh, and have a lot of fun with and uh, so yeah got the first one done um, you know people really liked it um, got a lot of good feedback on it and thought well we'll just continue with it and uh, you know it took me a while to come up with the um, uh, with the plot for for drone strike but uh, you know got that one kind of going and, and, and got it out. And so again, it's been another one that it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, really had a good time with it and, uh, you know, feedback from it is, has been awesome. So really thankful for that. No, we, we really enjoyed reading that. Thanks for sending us a copy. Oh, absolutely. Thanks. And interesting. You, you said you started with an action scene because I feel like, you know, you coming from that background can offer, such an interesting perspective to, you know, these kinds of stories. 
and not a lot of the authors have you know backgrounds like you but i i do we have interviews a couple people who are in in this line and they are also writing and i mean even if you think about kyle mills who took over for vince he per se wasn't in the field but his father was a long time yeah person in the fbi so you know he, they bring this certain perspective and i, I wanted if you can just comment on how you think your time in the CIA influenced, you know, how you write this character, you know, Joe Matthews. I, I feel like he's he's a really interesting character and very different than, you know, like our character, Matrap. Sure. Yeah, I think, um, you know, certainly my experience there um, has influenced or had a huge impact on um, the style of writing, I, I guess, you know, it was the, the character development and things of that nature. Um, you know, I tried to pull... You know, Joe Matthews is not, you know, one person that I worked with. You know, it's kind of bits and pieces or maybe um, the guy that I'd want to be when I grow up or something like that, you know. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, the key for me was um, to use my background and experience to really enhance kind of the realism and authenticity of what's going on in the book, you know, whether it's the story or whether it's, you know, the conversation or when I'm describing, you know, the CIA headquarters or, you know, someplace overseas or, or things of that nature. Um, you know, I wanted people who had lived in that world during the military law enforcement, um, you know, to be able to read that and say, yeah, you know, he, he knows what he's talking about. He's obviously kind of that been there, done that kind of thing. Right. Um, but again, not make it so in the weeds that uh, somebody else like my in-laws, um, you know, couldn't pick it up and just enjoy it as a as a thriller, you know. Um, and that was kind of one of my, um, you know, one of my test readers there. And, um, you know, they really helped me out a lot with the editing as well that, um, you know, they don't read thrillers. They don't read espionage stuff. You know, they're more English literature um folks and you know read serious stuff and uh, so the fact that that they could read it and uh you know and keep up and follow along and then just really enjoy the story was kind of yeah. striking that balance you know the best of both worlds where you know for for the people who are in it they you know got the realism and the authenticity but it wasn't so you know over the top or or you know in the weeds or deep in the woods that you know, somebody else who was not from that background in that life, you know, couldn't pick it up and enjoy it as well. You know, you really, you struck that balance perfectly in Drone Strike. A couple of tidbits come to mind with your insider info, particularly with the agency where people are hiding in plain sight. There are a number of times where you have someone who has earbuds in with nothing playing and it's yeah. like they're pretending to talk to somebody. So they look just like another average Joe. Or someone's sure. reading the newspaper, but not really looking at the newspaper, kind of glancing over it. Yeah. I can only imagine those are kinds of those little tidbits you're talking about from an insider's perspective. Yeah. And I think that it's kind of an area, you know, when, you know, I talk with people or, or I think about, you know, the difference between how we do protection at the agency versus, say, the Secret Service or the State Department or, you know, some of these other larger organizations, um, you know, I think because of the nature of, of the CIA's mission, um, we end up um, incorporating a lot more tradecraft into what we do, into how we protect people, especially when, um, you know, working overseas and protecting chief of station and, and stuff like that in 
um, in high risk areas. You know, we're not just, you know, when you have the secret service and they've got 40 or 50 people show up for an advance and, you know, you can have everybody everywhere. Um, you know, we're a much smaller detail. And, um, and like I said, just, you know, depending on where we are and what we do, um, a lot of that, that trade craft comes into play, um, trying to maintain a low profile, you know, be there, um, you know, to, to support what we're doing, but not drawing attention to yourself, um, you know, things of that nature. So that is one of those kind of unique pieces to, to how we do protection at the agency. One other thing that really comes through with your writing and how Joe Matthews operates is the camaraderie of the unit and the relationships yeah. between the teammates because someone like Mitch Rapp, he works best as a lone wolf. And, yeah. and Kennedy even <laughs> says, thank goodness he didn't have a military background. They scouted someone who they can start fresh and strip any idea of teamwork from, you know, his sports days. They really wanted yeah, that lone sure. wolf character, but Joe Matthews, and maybe this speaks to your army experience. He thrives on the team. And the guys yeah. with him in the fight and he gives anything. I'm thinking of that opening scene, which I won't give too much away because yeah. we want our audience to go out there and, and buy the book. Yes. But I just remember sure. the lengths he would go to for his teammates. Is that something you did purposefully? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, looking at his background, starting in the army, you know, moving through special forces and then and then Delta, um, it's very much a, a team oriented um, environment. Uh, you know, and then when he goes to the agency, um, especially in the time when he's working in protective operations and, you know, supporting, you know, whether it's chiefs of station, it's, you know, um, or it's the director's detail. Um, you know, that was one of the things that, that I love so much about being there was that, that camaraderie with, with the other people on the detail. I mean, we were a very close knit group. Um, you know, you're working your shift and you've got, you know, four or five or six other people with you that, you know, literally, you know, you're trusting them with your life. They're trusting you with, with theirs. Um, you know, obviously the person that we're protecting trusts you, but it's, um, it's a very close knit environment. There is that camaraderie, um, amongst the, the people on the detail. And uh, I really wanted that to, to kind of come through in, um, you know, his interactions with, with Chris and, and the guys. I guess just to uh, touch on one more question from your time at the CIA, do you have any um, that you can tell us crazy or favorite stories from working protection at the, at the, at the agency? Hmm. I should have thought of that. You can't tell us. It's okay. <laughs> Maybe we can come back to it. I'll uh, sure, sure. I'll think so. We'll try to come back to you it. You tell us, but no you'd have to kill us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't want well, to do that. <laughs> I guess we could. We can. Um, let, let's pivot a little bit to Mitch Rap. You know, you, we you mentioned to us that you are obviously a fan of Mitch Rap. We wanted to know first: Do you have a favorite Mitch Rap book? And second, do you have a favorite Mitrap character, obviously, other than rap? Um, favorite book? I'd probably have to go with... Um, forgive me for not remembering the title. The one where the White House is taken. Ah, transfer. Oh, the first one. Transfer, transfer power. power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Classic. that one. Uh, I loved that one. 
you know, when he's in there sneaking around the house and he's got the, the older gentleman that yep. was, you know, the White House staffer, the butler or something yes. like that. Yes. I really enjoyed that one. Um, obviously, uh, the third option um, has a place near and dear to my heart just because it was the yep. first one that kind of got me into the Mitch Rapp world. Yep. Um, so I, I would say those two. Uh, as far as other characters, I would have to say Stansfield. Yes. I really liked him um, and just his kind of grace and dignity, um, you know, in the position of uh, DCI. Love Irene as well. Yes. She's great. And, you know, Scott Coleman. Scott's pretty cool, too. I kind of like Scott. <laughs> yeah. Those are three cool. favorites. Three fan favorites yeah. right there. Well, speaking of rap, we are covering Protect and Defend this month on our podcast, and we just wrapped up the first half of it, and we're about to get to the second half. There's a key scene I wanted to pick your brain about, because as someone on the inside who was tasked with protecting the DCI and the director of Central Intelligence, Kennedy gets taken. And I think we can say yeah. that spoiler. People who listen to the podcast, they, they've read it's the It's probably stories. been long enough that... Uh, spoiler alert. Yeah, no spoiler. Um, you don't have to put a spoiler before that. Can, and we can get into the specifics in a minute, but can you just give us the general overarching, what's it like when you are planning an international trip? You might be somewhere where the threat level is a little elevated and you know that going into it. What in general is the climate like with your job and your colleagues going into those environments? Yeah, you know, the, and I don't know if it's a misconception or not, or maybe just something that's not talked about a great deal in the, as people's perception of, um, you know, protective detail, especially a government detail, whether it is, you know, Secret Service or State Department or, or the CIA. Um, but ultimately, our first and foremost responsibility is to prevent something from happening in the first place. You know, it's not to go and, you know, roll in and get in a gunfight and, you know, that's all cool and everything. Um, because the longer that we're there in that gunfight, the longer the DCI or whoever the protectee is, is exposed to that threat and that danger, right? So, you know, one of the things that we do is we do everything we can ahead of time to try to eliminate all of those risks. Um, you know, something that didn't happen in the book that we would normally do. I know they mentioned they had an advanced team that got out um, probably a day prior running the routes and, and stuff like that. Um, something like this, you know, we'd probably be out a week prior. Um, you know, we would be there, um, you know, running the routes like they did. Um, hopefully not getting lost and get shot up. Um, if I'm not, <laughs> if yeah, I'm not I, giving something, I was surprised here. by that. Would Would you say that's kind of uh, is that a misconception? Because they go out the night before. It says they get forty bullet right. holes rolling into a bad part of town. Right. Would you pull the plug at that point, or is that just something that's so far fetched in terms to me, of me? I would. Fiction? I would. I wouldn't have even gone. Yeah, no. I'd pull the plug. I, I think done. that at that point, our recommendation would be let's let's not go here. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, let's go someplace else. Um, we can find some neutral place to, you know, have everybody come together and we could meet there. Um, but yeah, instead of rolling in the night before, I mean, we'd be there a week, um, probably, um, you know, we'd have local support from uh, the local office, which I know, you know, Mitch did. Um, yeah. I think anytime that you got like the local um, police involved, that's usually depending on where you are, that can be pretty sketchy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Not something that, that uh, you know, is is preferred. Um, 
And uh, so, yeah, if you did get shot up while you're doing your advance, we're probably not going to make that trip. Um, but hopefully, you know, we, we didn't have that, uh, that situation during my time. Uh, we were able to get out, run That's the good. routes, good. And, uh, and get back, uh, you know, in one piece. But, yeah, you, you bring together kind of all the resources, and that was really nice about, uh, about being with the agency, you know, is we would have local assets there, you know, local CIA assets. Mm -hmm. um, if they had, I know in, in this case in the book, you know, they had some trusted Kurds that were with them, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that were kind of the only other, um, you know, non-Americans there that, uh, that were kind of trusted and in the, the trust tree there. Um, you know, we could bring in, you know, State Department, military, you know, we had trips to, to Baghdad at the height of the war, um, you know, and we had military support as well as our agency support and contractors. And um, just, you know, we would have a lot of tools in our tool belt that we could bring to bear. And, uh, you know, we would tend to use every one of them. Yeah, speaking of that, like one of the requests in the book is that they don't want any American personnel visible would, yeah. would that to you be a red flag, like a no go? Like we're not, we're not doing specifically that. the military. They don't want to see any yeah. military outfits yeah. on site. Is that a collaboration that you you rely on, or it would really depend? You know, if we're if we're going into Baghdad, we're going into Kabul, um, you know, something like that. Um, you know, some high risk location. Um, you know, we would certainly not have a problem leaning on the military and asking them for for support and assistance. You know, obviously, if we're going to London or Paris or something like that, you know, that's not going to be the case. But sure. for for a high risk, um, you know, trip like that, um, yeah, we would certainly collaborate with them if it was an option. And, uh, you know, and we thought it would would help take care of some of the risks. And one of the other pieces that um, that kind of worked in our favor, as opposed to to the book, is, you know, with us being the superpower. Um, we were the ones that set most of the conditions for those mm -hmm. types of meetings. You know, we weren't right. accepting conditions from from the other guys about, you know, yeah, we'll meet you here, but, you know, don't bring this, don't bring that, don't do this, don't do that. Yeah. It was kind of the the opposite, you know. We were kind of setting the ground rules for, for the meets. Well, that's good to hear. Yeah. That's good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a small tidbit, <laughs> but I was wondering how much this would be true. When they're going over the route in advance, they consider huh? doubling or tripling the distance to take a more randomized pattern. And that's something yeah. you hear about all the time with like spies and espionage and they double back on themselves. But in terms of the actual motorcade with the DCI going to, mm -hmm. you know, a meet, would they have considered that? Because they end up taking the most direct route. They say, let's cut down on time. You know, speed is our sure. friend in and out. Let's just go to A to B. But that also makes them pr uh, predictable. So is that one of those tools right. in your arsenal? Absolutely. You know, when we're out doing that that advanced advanced work, like, like you know, like I mentioned, you know, we'd be out there a week ahead. We're running routes. You're always running two and three and four and five different routes. Um, you know, you've got a ton of them in your in your hip pocket there um, for multiple reasons. You know, you're on one. There's a, a fender bender that's got things backed up. You know, there's another one. There's construction. There's uh, you know, and different ones for whatever reasons. Um, but the big thing, like you just mentioned, uh, Mike, was that that unpredictability mm. is, you know, if we've got, you know, four or five different routes, we can choose whichever one we want to take. Now, again, timing does play a role in it, right? Mm -hmm. So if, 
you know, for example, we were in Amman and we were going to meet the King of Jordan. We're not going to keep the King waiting, right? We're not going to take any chances, sure. you know, in that, in that case that, you know, we're going to get hung up in traffic because we're taking a long roundabout way to get there. Um, but for something like this in Mosul, um, if you deem that was, you know, the best way to go and it was, you know, unpredictable, um, as long as there was enough time and enough leeway to make it happen, uh, whether, you know, Irene got in a little bit early or whatever it was, uh, to kind of be sort of on time, um, for the meet, it would definitely be an option because the biggest tool that we have as protective agents is that unpredictability. The thing that will get you killed and get you in trouble is being time and place predictable. Yep. You know, the bad guys have all the advantages. They can pick when the attack happens. They can pick where it happens. Um, if, as part of their targeting cycle, they've been doing their surveillance, they know kind of what you normally roll with as far as vehicles and number of people and what weapons you're carrying. So they can always, they can bring more guys and they can bring bigger guns. And so they have all the advantages. Um, you know, the thing that we use is just that shell game, you know, changing up the times, changing up the vehicles, changing up the routes, um, just not falling into a pattern and making it harder on them. Because the more options they have to cover, especially in those early stages with the surveillance, the more people they have to put out, then there's more of the opportunity for us to identify and spot some of that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, know that, that something's up. So, um, yeah, that unpredictability is a, a big piece of what we do. But I want to loop back to your book because there's a key piece of technology that plays a central role in your book. And I wonder how drones specifically could enhance the world of security and protection and if they're relied on at all in that field or the way you work them into your book, you know, is really just uh, for the military and for operations. Are, are, is technology mm -hmm. like drones ever used from a security and surveillance perspective for protection? So I would say that nowadays, probably more so at the time that I was still at the agency, excuse me. Um, you know, I think they were kind of in the beginning stages. They were mostly used for, for military. And then obviously the, the CIA was using them for, for drone strikes, um, you know, on high value targets and things of that nature. Um, you know, I think they probably were used for surveillance, but probably more in a, in a military mode. Um, you know, but nowadays, um, you know, if you were in a zone, uh, you know, whether it was a war zone, a high risk area, you know, someplace where those drones were flying, I, uh, and you were there, say, with, you know, the DCI or another high ranking government official, the Secretary of State or, or whoever, um, I certainly don't think it would be unreasonable that, um, that you might look to see if, uh, you know, you could put one of those up to, to keep an eye out on things around the area, you know, while you were there on the ground. So aircraft play a really big role in your book. I mean, the title is Drone Strike. And sure. there is a little uh, there's a little twist about what that drone strike means. We're not going to give it away here. But how how did you come to put so much about UAVs? You even have some scenes with B2s and F35s. And how did aircraft? Why did it play such a central role? And did did you have experience as a pilot or in flight? A, a lot of research. Right. You really did a lot of <laughs> right. a lot of specs. I don't specs. know. I really appreciate yeah. reading it. You know. Yeah. Try not to get you know too technical um, with some of the specs, but I thought you know there were some areas where it was kind of necessary to kind of further sure. the story. Yeah. Um, 
You know, for this one, one of the first, uh, or maybe when I was still writing Tehran's Vengeance, or right when I'd finished, um, I'd pictured a scene at a, a clandestine drone base, um, you know, out in the desert someplace, um, you know, that was a, a CIA base, um, you know, flying drone missions out of there. Um, had some experience, um, you know, knowing people who had, had worked or, or run some of those bases. Um, kind of bounce some ideas off of them and uh, kind of came up with with the idea for for the twist in the in the story um, I, I don't know exactly where it came from but I was like well it can't just be you know the US flying drones around and you know taking out terrorists and bad guys and stuff like that you know there had to be something going on and uh, you know with everything going on in Syria right now um, you know, the heavy Russian presence there and then moving in North Africa, things of that nature had to get them involved. Um, and you know, when Russians involved, it's, it's always going to be no good. Um, so, <laughs> so, you know, that, that was kind of where, where the drone piece came from. Um, the other planes, the B2s, the F-35s, um, it was really funny. And I was, um, I was hoping to get the book out a lot earlier um, but at the end where, you know, we talk about the use of those aircraft and the number of targets that they were going to hit, uh, 50 targets at least, um, there was a point last year or end of the 2020 where President Trump actually made mention in a press conference about striking 50 targets in a certain country. And I had already written it and it wow. was... You know, the book was like with the agency's publication review board. And I was like, I got to get this out before he does something because nobody will believe that I wrote it <laughs> first, you know. Right, so, yeah, right. um, yeah. So, you know, I figured, you know, at, at the end and with those planes, um, you know, there had to be some type of retribution going on for, for everything that had happened. And, uh, you know, we were just going to do a, kind of a massive airstrike. Because I think, you know, President Andrews, he'd been dealing with these guys for a long time and really just kind of had enough is enough. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if they didn't get the message before, then, you know, this time we're going to send them a message that, you know, there's no room for misunderstanding. Definitely have the message now. You know, it's yeah. interesting, though, thinking about the timing and current events, this book was published December 2020. Was it, mm -hmm. it was earlier in 2020, our whole incident with General Soleimani and Soleimani. some yeah. airstrikes back and forth. Yeah. And I was really wondering, I'm like, are we <laughs> going to kind of pull the trigger first? Will it be them? Will this be the spark? And, yeah. and cooler heads prevailed in the end, I guess one could say. Sure. Uh, do current events like that, I, you kind of touched on it already, but what you just said made me think of those events. Did those play a role as you were writing? Was it mostly done already? It was mostly done yeah, by the time okay. that Soleimani was uh, was killed. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I was like, holy smokes, that's crazy. Um, and Pulling a Kyle with the whole coronavirus thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that could that have been a wild. thriller. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, that had, you know, everything had already been written by that point. Um, but, yeah, you know, current events do play a role. Um, right. You know, every morning I got a routine. I get up. I got a whole bunch of Google alerts on different right regions of the world and, you know, terrorism and this and that. And I scroll through those, um, you know, finding different stories that might, you know, 
kind of piqued my interest and think could be an idea. And I set them aside in a file. Keep a notebook. So, Keep a journal. Yeah. You know, I want to make it something that's, that's relevant, um, you know, to what's going on in the world at the time. Um, you know, make it, uh, you know, hopefully entertaining and, um, you know, just something that, uh, you know, people can kind of relate to. Well, I, I know your, your book, you know, just came out in December, but do you have uh, an idea for book number three? What's next? I have, I've, uh, I've started on the third one. I'm about seven chapters or so in kind of early stages. Um, but, uh, but yeah, working on it. So we'll see how it goes. And, uh, I keep going back and forth on the plot, um, making minor, you know, tweaks and changes and stuff until I get it just, you know, um, you know, get comfortable with it. Um, but yeah, I am working on, on the third one now. All right. Cool. Can't wait to read Yeah, it. that's exciting. Yeah. Well, um, have you, you've had some time. Have you thought of any cool stories you can give us from uh, maybe a trip abroad? on protect on a protection detail or most interesting place the job you know has taken you to yeah you can just answer that <laughs> most interesting place um i think um let's see we went to sarajevo a couple of times uh, that was really cool uh tbilisi georgia um and that one was really interesting because yeah. um we were there and um you know it wasn't long after there'd been um the assassination attempt on Edward Shevardnadze, who was the, the president at the time. And so we were able to get with uh, members of his detail and go down and walk along the area where the attack actually took place and kind of walk through it with them and have them talk uh, with us about it from a, a firsthand experience. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, there's all kinds of funny stories that go on. You know, you talk about how in the, uh, in the book, Protect and Defend, you know, obviously the local cops there were a big part of the problem. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, that we did on occasion if we weren't comfortable is, you know, we would tell the local guys that, you know, this is the route we were going to take. Mm. And they would have all their guys out, you know, blocking traffic and post it up on the side of the road. You would go a different way. <laughs> and we'd go the opposite, totally opposite direction. <laughs> Bait and switch. Know? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we're not, we're not having that. Um, That's awesome. You know, we would routinely, I had a buddy of mine on the detail who uh, spoke a foreign language. So when we would go in for the meetings with the locals, you know, I'd tell them, you know, hey, do me a favor. Don't let on that you speak the language. <laughs> so, you know, when we're talking with them and then they go off and they huddle by themselves or whatever, you know, just make sure that they're not trying to screw us here. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that. And so, um, you know, that kind of stuff goes on uh, on all the time. That's pretty good. I mean, Mitch Rapp does speak like what, four or five languages. So he's, he can, he he's doing that he all the time. He speaks a lot more than I do. Yeah, I can. I can order a beer and then ask where the bathroom is in about five or six, but that's about as far as it goes. That's the most important. The most important. <laughs> what else do you need? <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, we don't want to take up too much of your time. We, we really appreciate you coming here, but we, we I like to finish off our interviews by asking our uh, interviewees, what was the last great thing that they consumed in media? Be a, could be a book, TV series, a movie. You know, what are you consuming now? What am I consuming? I just finished a book called um, Warrior's Creed. It's by Roger okay. Sparks, who was a uh, Marine Force recon and then got out. And then if that wasn't enough punishment, he went in the Air Force and became a pararescue jumper. Um, so kind of hearing that, that was uh, that was pretty cool. Um, right now, I'm in the middle of uh, Mark Graney's 
latest book, Relentless. Um, nice. Love the Gray Man, one of my all-time yeah. favorites. Um, so I'm uh, I'm reading that. Uh, as far as TV shows, my wife and I are into uh, Prodigal Son right now. I don't know if oh, you guys okay. have watched that one. That. It's pretty good. But that yeah. one's pretty cool. We're really enjoying it. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's kind of what we're working on right now. Cool. Nice. Yeah. I'll have to check out that book. Yeah. And we're going to get the gray man oh. on the big screen. So yeah, yes. that'd be cool. That'd be pretty cool. Looking forward to that. All right. So everyone out there, if you could go ahead and get your copy of Drone Strike, if you don't already have it, but uh, if you could just tell us, you know, how can our followers find you? Are you on Instagram, Facebook, social media? Yeah. Like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, all at Dave Austin books. Um, and then my website as well, DaveAustinBooks.com. Um, don't spend a whole lot of time on Facebook. It's kind of my least favorite of the, the platforms. Uh, I do most of my interaction Same. with everybody on, on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, so those are the two where, where I am uh, most often. Uh, but yeah, Dave Austin Books across the board. Cool. That's great. Hey, can you guys do me a favor? Yeah. Yes. So I know you talked to Kyle a bunch. And so the next time you talk to Kyle, I need you to give him an apology from me. Because back when when Vince first passed away and Kyle took over, I was such a huge Vince fan that I was like, there's no way some new guy coming in is going to be able to oh, keep man. up with the quality and everything. That right? was a common feeling, and though. So common I put feeling. it off and I put it off and I put it off. And finally, um, my daughter read the book that he finished. And then so maybe better. the next one. And she came to me because she is a big time Mitch Rapp fan and Kyle Mills and, nice. and Vince. And she says, dad, you got to get it. It's great. It's fantastic. And yeah. so, you know, I went kind of, you know, dragging and screaming. She dragged, dragged me to it and read it and it was awesome. And then everyone since then has been yep. phenomenal. Yep. So the next time you talk to Kyle, tell him <laughs> I apologize for doubting him, no. but he is the man because he's carried on the tradition and he's, uh, <laughs> He's making Vince and Mitch proud, Man, that's for sure. That was a common feeling, He's, and he won us all over. He just won yeah, us all yes. over with the Survivor and every other one. Yep. Yeah. No hard feelings, I'm sure he'll say. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> He's a nice guy, too. So. Just buy his newest book, you know, pre-order Enemy at the Gates, and <laughs> you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, will do. All right. Thanks for joining yeah, thanks us. Thanks so much. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. Hope you enjoyed that interview with uh, David Austin. Coming to you next week, we have a very special interview. I'm not going to tell you who it is yet, but you're going to like it. Uh, so look for that in your wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we said at the top, we'll say it again. We want to thank our patrons, including our special operator, Sherry F., and our special agents, George, Matt, Dawn, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, and Jeff. Please subscribe, rate, and review us using your favorite podcasting platform. Find us at MitchRapPod.com or using our Twitter handle at MitchRapPod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster. But thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. 
and the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.